Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh and welcome back to the Umarpreneur Podcast. I have a very special guest with me today, actually two very special guests who are both partners and co-founders in a highly successful agency, SM Commerce. And I have with me brother Depesh Mandelia and as well his wife and spouse Shalina. And today we're going to talk about their journey as a couple growing an agency and also really an online business that has been able to win, mashallah, two Comic Club Awards uh, with Russell Bronson, Funnel Hacking Live. If you guys aren't familiar with it, it's this really amazing organization. You can create funnels, but it's also a huge community. And they've won two awards for having generated over a million dollars in their business. So it's been amazing, mashallah, to see their success and witness their growth. And I want to share with you guys a sneak peek behind maybe their formula to success, what it is that really drives them to succeed in their business and how they manage it all in between their business, their family, and really just balancing everything in life. So Depesh, Shalina, Assalamu Alaikum. I'm so excited to dive into this with you guys today. Wa Alaikum Salam. So I think a best place for us to start and really just to kind of give people background is if you can share with us a little bit more about SM Commerce. What is it that you do in your business? What is your primary area of focus? Sure. So right now, SM Commerce um, is an ads agency, uh, ads management, consulting, coaching, and then we okay. expanded into kind of training and events as well. So, you know, the, the story of where it started from was in 2017. In fact, in 2016, um, both myself and Shalina had been working in the kind of online space for many years, and we were looking at what we do next for ourselves. Right. Do we start our own e-commerce business? Do we do more affiliate marketing? Because that was our first success. And it was a conversation with Facebook where they said um, to me at the time, you've had a lot of success with Facebook. In, in 2015, uh, both myself and Shalina, we helped a an e-commerce store grow from 800K to $26.5 million in 18 months. And that caught wow, Facebook's attention. And from that point forward, you know, they were promoting us at events. We were speaking for them. We were giving them feedback. And and uh, one of the, the VPs in, in their island office, which is like the head office for Europe, we were in London before, we're now in Canada. Um, he said to me, what if you started an agency? He goes, you you know Facebook ads, you've worked with lots of clients as a kind of consultant, freelancer. What if you started an agency? Now, if you told me at that point, you're going to start an agency and you're going to have success, I was never interested in an agency. That was just never one of my goals. But we decided to do it together. Uh, we both quit quit our jobs together in 2017. No clients. We had some money in in the bank just to cover the bills and things like that for three months. Um, and, and it was just a case of let's just do it. And we did. Mm -hmm. So we started off with LinkedIn, started to, you know, I, I shared posts and I had some contacts and said, you know, we're going to start an agency and does anyone else need help with Facebook and things like that. And then he just started to grow from there. Amazing, mashallah. And so how long, how many years have you guys been in operation right now? That would be easy. <laughs> it goes back to the original. Yeah, 2009? No, 2009 for sure, because I remember working on it when I was um, having one of my children. Wow, amazing, mashallah. So let's let's kind of rewind back to the start. Debesh, when I first met you, was at Fiddle Hacking Live. Mm -hmm. It was an honor to meet both of you. Um, and, uh, you know, it was after you actually went up, you got your two comic club award, mashallah. So I was so happy for you guys. So happy. I'm like, oh, Muslims are winning this. I love you it. You know, it was so funny. We had our own little corner of Muslim supporters. Yeah. And we were like, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And, and, and the cool I thing is it. there were quite, there were maybe about three or four hijabi women up there as well, which I thought was really cool. I yeah. think that was the first time that I actually, because normally when I go to these conferences and events, I come in with a hijab and most people remember me because there's very few people wearing hijab. Yeah. But 
it also makes me feel uncomfortable because they know they're looking at me because I stand out. But this time I was really comforted to see so many of our people out there. Yeah. It was it was really nice. It was a trippy yeah. atmosphere. Hundred percent. I hopefully we'll have even more next year and more the year after. Mm-hmm. Well, and maybe and then one day we'll have our own funnel hacking life, which is the goal. Absolutely. Hundred uh, percent. So Depeche, I want to rewind a little bit because when I first met you, I was intrigued because just like you told me yourself, uh, when you told me Depeche, I was like, oh, I, I wasn't sure. Like this isn't necessarily a, a, a Muslim name that I'm familiar with. So I know there's a story behind that, and I would love to share that story with our listeners as well. Can you share with us, you know, what brought you to Islam, if that's okay with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I reverted to Islam from Hinduism in, I think, 2000, no, I remember now, 2001, 2002, roughly about that time. So it's been some time. And at that point, I had, I didn't understand Hinduism. My parents hadn't really taught us it, and it didn't make sense to me either. But I was grown, I, I, I went to a school that teached uh, Christianity. That was their main theme. And that made sense. We'd read the Bible and gospel and all those kind of things, the Psalms, and that seemed to make sense. There's one God, and then everything filters down from that. So that cut, that was my first step. And I used to pray, just going to bed, just in my head and stuff like that. And then I think as I went through university, because I was brought up in uh, a town in the UK where I was probably one of only four brown people in the whole town. So it was a very, you know, white town. And I, broke, I was brought up in the UK culture. It wasn't until I went to uni that actually I met more brown people and, and people of my own culture as well. I'm, I'm Indian and also from other religions and backgrounds. And I started to learn a lot more as well. And and it was through that that I started to see more of Islam as well. Some friends would talk about it and things like that. Um, and actually myself and Shalina met at university. And I think it was through that kind of uh, connection and friendship that I started to get closer to Islam and, and started to understand it. Um, and then eventually we um, agreed to get married and obviously under one condition that um, I was, you know, prepared to revert and I was at the time. Mm -hmm. It then took me probably 10 years to really, really understand Islam. And I think this is also one of my other projects. Um, I I don't think we've talked about this is working on something that helps reverts through that initial phase, because I think it's the hardest thing, because when you're born into Islam, Everything's just there. You know, you see people praying five t- times a day. You start to understand what times they are, what the names are, and you're told like through madrasa and things like that. But as a revert, you're thrown into this whole new world and there isn't a support system out there. And I think that's what I'd love to develop one day is build a community and a, 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 almost like an onboarding system for reverts that you get this 30-day, three-month, three-year plan. This is what you need to do. And And, you know, when I first came into it, I felt overwhelmed. I felt like I had to learn Arabic because I can't read the Quran. I had to learn the names of the prayers, the times of the prayers, the actual words you say. It was really overwhelming. And initially I came in running, but then I started to take a step back and I didn't understand it. And I think this is an interesting thing because as much as we want um, people to be part of the Ummah and join, I think a lot of people don't understand that. And like I remember him meeting someone else like, oh, can you recite Surah Surah Zaytun? And I'm like, hello? give the guy a chance like you're not you're not really encouraging us here oh how many fasts do you do it's like almost like a, a competition mm. and i remember when when and i don't know if you have you mentioned that i the basically divesh i call divesh nazir at home so that's his his name well that's the name i chose as a, a revert yeah <laughs> nice so so when we were out there i i remember he was doing the um learning to pray and stuff but because everyone was so pushy even my father to an extent although he was trying to help him I remember sitting there trying to think, how can I write the Arabic in such a way that he'll be able to read it and pray with him? 
And I was almost trying to lead the prayer, but trying to coach him at the same time, which is really not the the norm. And I know the women doesn't lead or whatever, but I was thinking, okay, I need to get him in here gently without making him think, do you know what? I do want to do this. Yeah. And then the other situation was he had to deal with his whole family because, I mean, he didn't get the same support from his side. So for them, it was a, it was huge. And I think there's not enough empathy for people coming into the faith and enough. I don't think like we teach a lot in Islam about kindness and compassion and all these things. But I think sometimes we don't love and show all of those things to people entering the mosque. Because they don't like, I mean, even Surah Fatiha, that's something that we almost, it's like one of the first words we learn, right? They don't know that. And it's almost like you're in this brand new place. You don't, it's like your first day at school in the mosque, though. So I, I think for, D, for Deepesh Nazir, it, it was hard. Yeah, definitely. It sounds hard. And, you know, it, it very much, because when you're talking to me about this, and, uh, you know, I completely relate uh, to what you're saying, because, uh, you know, the, the person that I married or essentially my wife, she was non-Muslim. And so uh, it's kind of like a journey going through that learning phase, right? Uh, and I completely understand that journey and going through that. And, you know, when you're sharing this with me and you're sharing that you both went to university and right now you're running the successful agency, mashallah, I personally, from what it sounds like, it sounds like you guys were able to overcome this challenge. And it sounds like that just shows who you are as people and they were able to overcome those challenges together and that's probably what led to your success in business just like in all other areas of life and i'm curious to have a bit more information on the story of how that interconnected with your entrepreneurial journey because you met in university so you're clearly both students but you've decided not to continue through the traditional path and you've been very successful in not doing so so how have you balanced because entrepreneurship in itself you know, you look at changing religions, something like, you know, embracing Islam. It's a, it's, it's a very all-encompassing, you know, decision. It affects every single area of your life, right? And then you look at also being an entrepreneur and building a business. And when you're really all in, it really is as well a very all-encompassing decision that affects every area of your life. And so you've taken both of those decisions together. So what was that like for both of you to go down that path? Was it at the same time as he was also learning about Islam and, and getting more comfortable with it? Was it after he got settled in? Can you walk me through like a bit of the timeline of that journey? I, you know, honestly, it was um, forced upon us. And, and I'll explain what that means. And, and part of my journey of learning Islam and, and uh, how the world really works and stuff. So when we left uni, we went to a typical career path. Like my dad's goal as you know a factory worker was always i want to get my children into university as the best way to get a job and make money so i went down that path and we both graduated and uh started working i need money salary all that kind of stuff it wasn't until 2009 that the opportunity to become entrepreneurs happened and it was uh the financial crisis 2008 2009 i lost my job now that job i'd had for four and a half years i was like an internet or e-commerce manager for a brand and I was going places my salary had just been increased a year and a half before so I was on a decent salary we just moved into a bigger house in in London as well we're just having our second kid so we were on an upwards journey like uh, my salary at the time um even now is still considered a decent salary but in I think it was July 2009 my employers decided to initially let half the team go and and I wasn't part of that so it was all good Two weeks later, they decided to let half of the half team go. 
and I was part of that. And I it would it was unexpected because I was one of the high flyers and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, they had to cost cut, and obviously because I had a salary bump, mine came up first. Initially, when when they come to you and say, "Hey, you know, you've no longer no longer got a job, your role's redundant, whatever," my first mind was, you know, whatever, I'll just go online and find another job and whatever. It took me three months to find a new job. And it's because if you imagine I was let go, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people like me, very talented, very skillful, very experienced, all going for one job, all going for one job at a time. I wasn't even getting interviews. Now, up until that point, every um, job I applied, I had a good chance of getting an interview. And generally, when I got an interview, I was really good at getting the job. My conversion rates were good. But now all of a sudden, I couldn't even get interviews. People would just not respond. And even if I did turn up, they just were, they were trying to bump your salary down. And I said, I can't do that. I've got bills and stuff like that. So I actually fell into depression. And and, and I just want to, you know, it's almost like Qadr Allah because um, the day he, he found out that he had lost his job, I was just about to start my maternity leave. So it was like, how is this happening at this moment? Like I've had this secure job for this time and now we're both not working. So I think that part was quite... The timing was almost impeccable. Yeah, and and it's something which when we look, when we look back, things start to make sense. But I, I got into depression because not only could I not get interviews, I was now worrying about bills. I was worrying about mortgage. I was worrying about losing the house and things like that. And and that made me feel really bad inside that I can't even get a job. And and where I hit rock bottom was um, in the UK. We have a, a feature, a, a function where you have to go and sign up for government checks in order to get your kind of national insurance and taxes paid. So I had to go to the job center to queue up and show them that I'm applying for jobs in order to get a tax thing of like, I don't know, 80 pounds, like $100 a week tax credit or something like that. And I was queuing up behind someone who was clearly drunk and smelt of alcohol and another lady who had like one kid in a pushchair, one in her arm, crying, crying, crying. And I thought, this is my level now. Like, this is my level. I've really dropped. And I, I felt so bad when I came out of that um, session because you have to go every week. And I felt like I'm going deeper and deeper down this hole. I didn't want to wake up in the morning. I was lazing around. Uh, Shalina, by that point, had had our second baby. I was not helpful. And she was struggling with, you know, oh, two babies. And a... well. But that's fine. It is what it is. <laughs> the thing is, that, that was a very hard pill to swallow. But, and, and through that, Shalina actually said to me, you mentioned affiliate marketing a few years ago. You've got time now. Why don't you just do affiliate marketing? And I was like, I don't even know. what. I don't have the motivation. But something in me did pick it up. And six months later, I f we got our first commission. Like, it took me six months to figure out this whole affiliate marketing thing. And the thing is, it was so beautiful because I don't know how we'd set it up, but it did a little jingle of coins coming through. So the first sale came through like... And then it was like just looking out for this. Listening out for the, yeah, because we had an affiliate track uh, dashboard where you just make a chime and stuff like that. Um, now, within that time, like three, four months later, I did manage to find another job, not quite what I wanted or the salary or whatever. But now this affiliate marketing thing started. And then the first commission led to the second and then the third. And all of a sudden, we started to drive revenue. We had a side hustle. And that's the thing. Like I was working the nine to five. And in the evenings, I would be working on affiliates. And in the daytime during Shalina's maternity, She'd be helping me out with the affiliate marketing. Fast forward to 2020, no, 2010, 11, we were making enough commissions for us to leave our day jobs. So in 2011, we were absolutely crushing it. 
Um, and the revenues we drove from that affiliate marketing was seven figures in, in you know, what we brought in. But we got to the point in 2012 where I was seriously thinking about leaving the nine to five and going all in on affiliate marketing. But by that point, although the money was coming in, I didn't, I, I was overconfident. I, I thought I knew it all. Um, I hired people just expecting that they'd do all the right things. They corrupted everything we set up. We were run, relying on SEO, so search engine results, and they messed all of that up. We went from getting like thousands and thousands of hits every day onto our affiliate sites down to zero. It's the same time that Google changed their algorithm and it ruined everything. And, and it, in a funny way, without that, I would not have entered Facebook advertising, which is what I do now and which is where I've really made my wealth. That was a hard, another hard pill to swallow because we'd lost this opportunity to grow this business. And, I, and then I went back into contracting and nine to fiving and trying to figure out what do I do? And then 2014 fell into this opportunity, worked with this company, absolutely blew it up in terms of Facebook ads growth, got into the inner circle of Facebook itself. And then that elevated me into growing an agency and training and speaking at events and these two comma awards and stuff like that. And my biggest learning from this is if you look at how your luas are responded to, you know, when you ask for something, you, you don't often know how it's going to be delivered. Yeah. Like one of the things that Shalina always talked about is wouldn't it be great for us to own our own business and stuff like that? Going back 10, 15 years, I had no clue what our own business would look like. But there it was written in our destiny, in our in, in Grisma, that in 2009, this thing's going to happen. In 2012, this thing's going to happen. It's going to push you. It's going to break you down. It's going to force you to change your character. And it's going to force you into this new thing. You might lo not like it, but it's the right thing for you. And I think, and I don't know if this happens to everybody, but as we journey through our life, I think our theme changes at different points of time. And I was getting to a point where, you know, I was commuting. And I was like, it was good because I had my mother in with me because we were going to the same job. So it was almost like, I didn't want to go anymore on my own. I didn't want to commute on my own. I always, it was like, even when we were at Facebook, we were a team. We'd go and get a job. We'd both lay, we'd land jobs at the same company. It was like we'd we'd become um, quite a team. And Facebook was talking to us both. Uh, we'll bring one of us up. Do you want to do an interview in a paper? Do you, you know? Do you want to come to headquarters? Oh yeah, but I need, I need to take my business partner. It's irrelevant that we're married. <laughs> but I've got. It kind of just became that maybe under our intentions, but it somehow made it that we were both able to specialize in the same field. And, and and kind of grow together. Mm -hmm. so we got to this point where we were doing really, really well for all these companies. And I kind of sat back and I said, you know what? At the end of the day, we're working for Kafir. They're never, we're never going to grow. They're never going to get us. And, you know, they'd be. it was really awkward because you're in this big team. They're like, oh, let's all go out for drinks. And you're like, you're all right. Or we're all fasting. Oh, okay, okay. And it, it almost felt like, I felt like an outsider at times. I really did. And I was like, D you know, I'm Nazina Deepesh. Um, come on, let's do it. Let's do it. And he's like, oh, if it all goes flops, what are we going to do? And I was like, let's just have faith in Allah. It's going to be all right. We've got some backup money because we're going to refurbish our house. I said, if it all goes wrong, we've got the backup money. I said, the other advantage is that um, as a woman, you want to be around the kids, right? You want to make sure you're present. Yeah. But when you're at a job and something happens, like I remember there was an incident, they called me and my child wasn't breathing. They're taking him to A&E or ER, whatever you call it, yeah. yeah. Um, and he wasn't breathing and it took me an hour and a half to get to him. And I think that really gave me like, I can't do this. 
if my child needs me, I cannot take an hour and a half to get here. Um, <clears throat> and I say, I need to be around the kids. I want to work. I still want all this stuff. But I want us also, I want the best of everything. Um, and good old Ezeo was on board. He's like... I, I, think, I think the other thing that changed is, you know, we were going through this journey of Islam together from the point of marriage and going forward. And in 2014 is when our kind of uh, view of faith and Islam changed massively because also 2014, I, I know like um, Shalina used to wear the hijab when she was younger, but then she stopped. And in her heart, she felt like she wanted to do it again. But now you're in the corporate world. Now you're in business and work and what will people think? I know they're the challenges that she went through. And she went through a real difficult journey to try and get into the position of wearing the hijab again. She did it in 2014, but with a lot of kind of psychological difficulty to, to be ex feel accepted. Because obviously, you go in one day with hair and next day with a hijab, people are like, what happened there? So obviously, that was hard. But at the same time, I think it was Ramadan that year, we were listening to more YouTube lectures and different things that were going on and stuff like that. And I think something started to click. Can I share you a story about this journey? Yeah, please. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. Go ahead. Okay. We might run out of time. I might have to start talking really fast. <laughs> so I couldn't fast one year. I think I was having a baby or something. For some reason I wasn't. And, and Nazir couldn't fast because he was unwell. And I said, we've got to do something because it doesn't feel like Ramadan. Like we're just like, it's not the same. So we committed to listening to online lectures. And there was an audio lecture. We sat there together and we were listening to this lecture. And it was, it was just, it wasn't, it wasn't even, it was just a weird story. It was like, um, there was these kids, they went to Madrasa and they were told not to go into the West Wing because it was being refurbished. But you know how kids are, they do what they're not supposed to do. They go in the West Wing. One of them comes back and a few days later, he's acting weird. Now, Islamically, we know why he's acting weird. But obviously, we're not connecting because he shouldn't have gone then. Basically, the story just talked about, um, he went into his um, Quran class and he goes, in Arabic, test me anywhere in the Quran. And he was like, no, no, no. You know, and the guy kind of just knew everything. So he'd obviously had an interaction with a jinn and so on and so forth. And that was kind of the end of the story. But later on, while we were observing these short bursts of lectures, the same story came up. But this time I saw the guy and it was the imam that was my dad's best friend in the mosque and did my nikah. So I was like, oh my gosh, it was him. So we started following him. And then something in me became so, so in need of my faith that I rang my dad up and I said, can you call him around for dinner? I need to chat. I need to, I need to figure out how to sort my life out. And he actually did come home. We had a chat and he goes, nothing's beyond redemption. You can do anything you want. We'll pray. It's all going to be okay. Just honest forgiving. Forget whatever things you might or might not have done. Just start again. And I think that was also the year that Nazir did Hajj. Well, that was 15. Was it 15? Well, it's, that was what kind of started us on. He goes, okay, we're both ready. And it was like, we did this hard. We had all these intentions and things started to kind of line up. It was like Allah knew that um, we'd done all this stuff. We wanted to do the right thing. And even like when we were trying to look for a business, we didn't want to be like anything gambling. Oh God, these people are selling alcohol. We can't, we can't work with them. How do we politely tell them no? And there were lots of challenges like that within the business that we were struggling with. I won't say struggling. I mean, to be honest, if, if something came to us as a client and it, it, it either felt non-halal or wasn't halal, I had no problem saying no, even though it could be like a 10K a month contract and, and make a difference. 
I had no problem saying no. Now, five, 10 years before that, maybe I was like, oh, but you know, money, money, money. But now it was like, Islamically, it's not the right thing to do. And I had no problem doing that. Um, and I think there are there are often challenges around, is this a, a halal way to earn? And is this the right thing to do? Um, it's not as simple as saying, is it halal or not? It's actually your intention, your heart, what's inside your faith that drives that. And when you understand this world and how fake it is, you know, this is just a test. This is like the pre-exam before you go to see the final um, exam. Then you understand that these things are not difficult to figure out. Like you, you, you're, you're, you're doing your essay right now. Is it the right thing to add into your essay or not? Well, it's not. So don't do it kind of thing. But, you know, 10 years pr prior to that, it was harder. Um, and, and those things felt like we were doing the right thing. And it felt like we were also getting rewarded because then another contract came up a, a week or a month later and it was better. It was a our contract and we had no problems growing and stuff like that so we, we had these challenges as business owners and i think we managed to overcome them as well yes i know no, definitely and i have a question for you because you both mashallah you know through through these stories and challenges and successes that you guys have been able to go through alhamdulillah at this point in and uh, at this point in your business mashallah it's thriving and i want to know because there's a lot of muslims listening to this and it's kind of like how do you you know I feel like as Muslims, there's actually even more of, of the kind of that scarcity mindset within our community, if that makes oh. sense, where we kind of feel like, you know what, like trying to pursue wealth or trying to like kind of grow our business in a way where we're financially free. Sometimes, like I speak to Muslims where like they are almost guilty to say like, yes, I do want to grow my business to seven right. figures or I want to kind of get to this level and uh, and, you know, they feel like, I, oh, well, that's not something that I should want. Uh, and of course, for me personally, it's something that I disagree with. I think we can balance our spirituality with our business and everything else. But I want to know for you, like, how do you approach your business from a spiritual side? Like as two Muslims, what do you feel like within your mindset, within your approach has contributed to your ability to get your business to where it is today? Abby, you know, one of the most important things as a Muslim is, you know, your rizq is written. Mm-hmm. If you understand that whatever is meant for you, you will receive, that scarcity mindset kind of just doesn't come up. Yeah, so I, I think that's the thick thing. You you know that your wealth, your total wealth is written, it's pre-written. So it doesn't matter what you do, but every day you have to try and do the right things based on the faith. And then the, the your wealth, your health, the day you're going to die and how you're going to die, those things are pre-written. So um, even right just before this um podcast i was doing our weekly newsletter i was just talking about death because one of my mentors from like 10 12 years ago passed away and and you know it's a it's a sad thing but it gets you it reminds you of why we're here is to get to that end point as successfully as we can so if you work backwards from that and say you know what's possible what's not even for example the sahabas right some of them were successful merchants they didn't sit yeah. there and say we want to learn this religion and we're going to ditch all the wealth and every all the glory of this world and stuff like that. It's not like that. And Allah even says in the, in the Quran, ask. It doesn't mean you'll get it, but you can ask. And you can do it in the in the sense of, you know, if it's good for me in this world and the hereafter, that's what we always do. And that, I think, is a good way to live. And, and you know, do the istikara prayer if you're in doubt and all that kind of stuff. It's just get using the support systems that, that are there for you and doing it in good faith. You know, we're, we're living a comfortable life. Um, we have a good business, family, live in a nice place, all that kind of stuff. Alhamdulillah. But I don't sit here thinking I'm doing something bad and I'm taking money. I'm doing, I'm, I have a halal business. I'm not doing any bad to anyone. I'm putting benefit out in the world. I'm getting paid for my, 
you know, knowledge and experience and everything I've committed over the last 20, 10 to 20 years in learning, why not? Why not earn more? Why not help people as well? And the other thing about your wealth is it can be a test, okay? Because having this drive and is partly the same thing. I know you need more money, you need more, you need more. But how much do you actually need? Mm. And I think one of the things that both Nazir and I did really consciously is we are constantly aware of the fact that it is a test and that we have to be using the money in ways that are helping others. So so like, you know, my parents, they're here at the moment. We you know we, we, we look after them as much as we can. If there's any difficulties, we'll help them. We proactively show the children and stuff like you have money but you need to let go of money too and my kids know that like I, I remember I did some I did an action I don't even remember what it was and my daughter was with me and she held my hand like this and she's like you know what mom I was like what she goes you're a really kind person and I didn't even realize because it's just become inbuilt because when you're constantly got the focus of Islam and you know it's all about your deeds what you're doing with stuff you're naturally like that even with your staff oh you're not feeling well just don't worry it's okay, you know, we're not going to deduct your wages, you know, you've got to have that. It's going to be in every aspect of your life. So you're, you're demonstrating to your family, you're demonstrating to the children, Allah's giving you this test, and it's almost like the more good you're doing, it just keeps, Allah keeps helping you because you're using that in a way that pleases Him. Yeah. And and I don't know, but I've heard a lot of stories, and I know a lot of people closely that, you know, when you're sourcing um, money from a way that is... Is haram or or not the ideal way? They don't keep that money. Yeah, it literally just goes. Mm-hmm. And and the perfect example is like you get someone they get a lottery ticket or they gamble and the money's gone. Yeah. So I I think there's a lot of you have to constantly. It's a test on your faith. Or, or, or keep going. Or all that money corrupts. You know, you win the lottery, you go gambling, whatever. You make some money, but it corrupts you, corrupts your soul. You get the money in a halal way. Doesn't matter if it's seven figures, eight figures, or nine figures. Like there are billionaire muslims in this world that are also good muslims it doesn't mean that you know you've got the money and now you're doing something bad it's what you do with it and what's inside your coming you know, i'm going to give you an example i don't know if the brother's in this circle and i'll keep his name anonymous we owed him some money he, he'd done a good deed and we were like we had this money to owe him and he, he was on pressure us he was like when you're ready you know just give it back and i was like we, we've got a debt we've got to clear this debt because you know i don't want a debt i don't want a debt and I finally got it all together. And I said, I've calculated it. This is what I think is remaining. Do, do, you, is, do, do you in agreement? He says, I don't want the money back. But if you feel that that is that, can you give it to this charity? And I was like, it's such a difference. So the thing is, I'm trying to be honest. He's turned that into a charitable deed. I've then got the benefit because I've given the charity and let him know it's gone. And it's like, it's almost like everything just fits together. Like how often do you get that? in a non-Islamic environment, it's just like, it's so nice when you like, people just like minded and get it. Right. 100%. Even like funnels, I remember a brother coming up and just going, oh, I've got this for you. We've got this natural instinct to look after each other, which is really nice in the faith. SubhanAllah. Yeah, I completely agree. hundred percent. And that is something that like every time I witness a moment like that, it like, it, it just makes you feel a certain type of way, right? Uh, SubhanAllah. And it's really, really nice to see like other brotherhood is still there. That brotherhood, sisterhood is still there uh, within the Ummah, alhamdulillah. One thing that I do want to ask you guys, because especially even for me, this is kind of almost like a personal question, because uh, it's something that I'm realizing right now in this stage of my life is I've been an entrepreneur now for almost eight years, so less than you guys. And, as, and so I'm here to learn from your experience as well. And 
very much for the majority of those years, my perspective has always been that it has to, it's all about massive action, right? And I think that's also what's kind of like always pushed um, across like, you know, all business coaches is like really going all in, taking massive action, uh, putting in, being as productive as possible, putting in as many hours as possible. And over the last year or so, after many burnouts, <laughs> I've, I've slowly started to adjust my approach. And, and I started to kind of even for this year, for 2023, inshallah, as we're starting this new year, my word has been balance. How can I balance it all? And, and in a way that keeps me happy and keeps me kind of consistent, right? Without these like up and down cycles. And so I want to ask for, for both of you who've had so many years of experience in business, you know, how do you balance, you know, the effort and hours that you put into the business along with everything else? And is it really all about massive action or is it something else? Do you have a different approach? So I'll give you two, two other words. Uh, they are focus and momentum. So mm -hmm. what focus gives you is a clear target and a clear path. And what momentum does is when you've met that goal, then you meet the next one, then you meet the next one. The problem with massive action and burnout and things is when you try to achieve too much with unrealistic timelines, unrealistic cash flow resources, and, and other commitments as well. So, you know, for example, if you've got a large family, we've got five um, children, it's difficult to grow a business um, exponentially as well as have a comfortable family life. And for example, I, co I coach my daughter's um, football team, soccer team. And that's a, a commitment that I enjoy and I want to make sure that I protect. For example, me and Shalina, uh, every Thursday brunch time, we have a date brunch because it's difficult to have a date night or an evening and things like that because we've got kids and then you have to think about childcare. But we can do it when the kids are at school on a Thursday. So we make sure that we try and put that in place. There are certain non-negotiables. And I think when, you know, 10 years ago, we didn't have non-negotiables. Everything merged and business would overpower family life or family power life would pull the business. But we've started to put these non-negotiables in place and then focus better on our goals. So literally over the last four weeks, heading into this new uh, quarter of the year from January to March, we were thinking about what's the goals for this quarter? And we broke it down into three very uh, achievable goals and well-defined goals with measures, OKRs, objectives and key results. And that is something that I teach to my coaching clients as well, because uh, we coach uh, business owners, is get your quarterly goals in place, make them realistic. And it doesn't matter if you want to achieve 10,000 things, just park them until the next quarter and then pull out three more, then pull out five more and three more, five, whatever it is. But it's a manageable amount that you can assign resource to and time and commit to. And that for me is, it goes back to this saying that Bill Gates had, which is we overestimate what we can do in 12 months and we underestimate what we can do in 10 years. What we've achieved in 10 years is way beyond what we've, we'd have thought. But there have been years where we thought we can 10X what we've got and we didn't. We just literally plateaued at the same revenue level because we tried to do too much. You know, we've gone from a team of 25 plus just a few years ago to a team of six or seven now. And it's more comfortable because we have less kind of HRE kind of headaches as a business owner has. And I'm not interested in running a large team in a large business. I'm interested in uh, having a, a decent revenue stream coming in, but a higher profit margin. And and other people have followed this path. So if you know um, Sam Ovens, for example, he actually did something like this at the similar time. I, I, you know, I wasn't working with Sam or anything like that, but it was, it was a funny coincidence that at the same time we were going through this uh, thing, he published a video and said, you know, we've, we've gone from a, 25 million a year business down to 5 million, but our profit is now 4 million versus 4 million doing 25 million. 
Like they're, they're the magnitudes of scale here. Yes, 25 million a year looks cool, but the stress for the same amount of money, that's not worth it. And I think sometimes you have to go through these cycles. We did it. We didn't enjoy being such a large company. And yes, the revenues were better, but I'm more happier where we are now with a smaller team and higher profits than I was before as well. Yeah, I completely agree 100%. Would you mind sharing, uh, because this is an entrepreneur podcast and I'm actually very curious as well, because interestingly enough, I'm, start, I'm starting to come to those same realizations. Sam is a person I really look up to. One of the first courses I ever bought was Consulting Accelerator uh, back in the day when he was still advertising it. And so it was kind of like my introduction into entrepreneurship. And, um, you know, ever since then, I've been following him, joined Uplevel and, and kind of his other cool. programs. <laughs> and and his, uh, his approach has always... You know, Sam is kind of really unique, I feel like, in the online business space. He's always contrarian to, to what everyone else is doing, and he kind of has his own way of doing things. Uh, but also, every time, you know, uh, I look at his approach, there's something that I can learn from it, which I which I very much admire. Uh, I'm curious for you, what are the changes, if you can share with us just a few of those changes that you made in your business to actually consolidate things, make them simpler, make them more efficient, while still maintaining or even possibly increasing your profit margins? Is there something from a high level view that you can share with us that we can learn from today. So I, I'd be honest for me, it's what do I enjoy? What's going to wake me up in the morning and I want to do, because I'm not in a position right now where I need the job or I need the money, mm -hmm. but I'm in a position where I can choose to do what we do. And right now I enjoy teaching, coaching and community. So they're the three things we focus on right now. Um, so our agency mostly does consulting, coaching, mentoring. And then with the community work, we have a, uh, membership program for advertisers looking not to look, just learn advertising for all the platforms, but to stay up to date and, and stay fresh on what's going on. And part of developing that was where I was 10 years ago. I wish I had this. Like I wish I had a low monthly fee I could pay where I wasn't paying thousands just for one course, but I paid a small monthly fee for all the courses led right. by experts, not just me, but other experts as well. And that's what I developed. And I think that's a cool thing about developing as a business owner as an entrepreneur is you can choose the projects you do. When I started off with affiliate marketing, I didn't have a choice. I needed money. I've now gone to the, from the stage of needing money to, I want to do something I enjoy. And now I'm doing things that, and by the way, the, the business I'm available Monday to Wednesday, Thursday to Friday, I'm not involved in the business. So Thursday to Friday is free time for podcasts, for writing emails, for planning, for lunches and <laughs> Uh, like Friday, for example, two, three hours is just gone going to the Juma prayer and all that kind of stuff. And that's fixed. That's never changed. It, it doesn't change. Fridays, I don't take any meetings, no calls, no team stuff, nothing like that. Friday's mine. And and they're things that I've developed over time because I've understood what's important. So like we talk about non-negotiables. Even my assistant knows Thursday, Friday, you don't book meetings. If it doesn't work on Monday to Wednesday, you push it to next week, unless it's an absolute emergency. But they're the boundaries I've built so I can have the time and, and the thought to think about what I need as a business owner. Now, could I have maybe done Monday to Thursday and made more money? Sure. But I'm happier for it. And sometimes, like, I, I, I drive my dream car at the moment and I'm happy to go just go for a cruise. I can do that because I don't have commitments or, you know, if, if, um, you know I need to take the kids somewhere or do something. I can choose to do that and I'm free. And And that, I think, is, you know, when you're starting off, you know, you're just starting off as an entrepreneur, you're getting to that zero to 10K a month, 10 to 50K. You don't have much freedom and choice, but it doesn't mean you can't build up to it. Because once you've de dealt with your, this comes down to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you've been through it, the basis, sleep, water, you know, food, all that kind of stuff. 
then it gets to security, then it gets to money, then it comes to friendships and you build it up. When you get to that top of the pyramid, all those bases are taken care of. And then you can now have free thought and freedom of choice and things like that. You have to build up. You can't just jump straight to the top without enough income to pay your bills. So it's just yeah. developing that. And, and that's why trying to get business owners and anyone that wants to get into an entrepreneurship to understand is build those bases up, build the strong foundations, and then you can literally do what you want. Yes. Well, this conversation comes at a very, uh, it's a very timely conversation for me, to be honest. It comes at a very interesting point because it's literally what I've been thinking about. It's what I've been really planning as we've entered this new year on how I can tailor my life according to what I love and what brings me joy. And, you know, what I really want to, what I've set out to do this year is instead of having, and this is kind of the way that I've put it in my own words, is instead of building my life around my business, my goal for this year and 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 what I've set out to do is build my business around my life. Alhamdulillah, that's it. Right? Absolutely. Alhamdulillah, exactly. And that's been a very major shift in my perspective, but I do agree that it's something that I have the privilege to do right now because I've been able to build my business to, to up to a certain point. Uh, but it was also necessary for me to go through these initial phases before where there was a little bit more of that grind. But it's going to be an interesting shift and I'm excited to see what that brings. And hopefully it brings even more ideas and more clarity. Yeah. What I'm looking forward to see is, will I be able to perform better with lesser hours in the business given that I'm fueling myself outside of it more? than if I were to just try to pump as many hours as possible. And I'm curious for you, have you seen that to be the case or not really? I think one of Nazir's gifts is he loves to make things easier. He's like Mr. Automator. Mm. Hey, I've got a new name for you. you if we can find <laughs> a way to um, get it done quicker, he will code it. He will, nice. he will find a solution. And the thing is, like, a job can be... You know, you can get the same stuff done, but that is one of his um, strengths, I think. And, and you know, it, as an example of that, in 2014-15, uh, when we grew this e-commerce store, 800k, 26.5 million, I only had um, four media buyers working with me, and we were spending up to $250,000 a day. Not a month, not anything like a day. We were able to do that with such a small team because we'd built all these automations and tools and stuff like that. We probably would have need, needed the double that in terms of media buyers, but I had a developer and in my mind, because going back 20, 25 years, um, I studied computer science. I wanted to be a coder and developer and things like that. So my mind is always thinking, what's the fastest route to get this thing done? Nowadays, you've got Zapier and things like that. And like, I'd say most of our business runs off Zapier. You see all of the kind of automations and all the stuff that's going on, but it's there and it's, it just makes things so much faster. Chat GPT and AI, if you've been looking at that at all, I wrote a training on it, how we're speeding up our ad writing process, our landing pages, our headlines, our emails. These tools are there to be used and to make things faster and easier. We still need our brains because we need to think about the strategy or the solution. But all the mundane stuff, yes, you can get a 3 or $5 an hour VA to do all these things. But as AI and technology continues to move, you can get these all these things done. And you can grow with a small team. And that's even with our agency, that's, you know, one that's, of our biggest that's been one of our strengths. Quality over quantity. Absolutely. The more you have, this applies to kids as well, the more responsibility it is to look after everyone and make sure everyone's doing okay. Right. So, you know, if I've only got a team of three, it is far easier to check in on everyone, see if everyone's okay. Sometimes I can just tell if somebody's not all right. That's why I've got the nickname Chief Happiness Officer. Um, I, you can if your team is huge, you lose that personal contact. Right. People kind of have less of a 
you know, it's like it just becomes a bit more diluted and less in touch with you. Oh, I'll leave that till tomorrow. I mean, no one's really there. And what I think one of our biggest learnings are keep it small, but make sure you know everything that's going on so that everything fits and runs smoothly. Do you agree or maybe? Yeah. 100%. Thank you so much for sharing that. If I could ask you about the membership that you mentioned real quick, maybe it could benefit our listeners. Can you tell us more about that and where people can go if they're curious to sign up to it? Yeah, inshallah. So it's uh, adsignals.com. Um, and what we're trying to build is a way for advertisers, and, and it's a twofold, threefold solution. So number one is, how do you build a community? So like, we're all online, right? Yeah. And the biggest challenge we have is building community and networking. So you either go to events or you go to Facebook groups or you try and build these kind of different connections, but finding like-minded people is hard. So first part of this is to find like-minded people interested in media buying. Then the second part is how do I get the right level of support at, 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 at a reasonable fee? So for example, like when I started off with affiliate marketing, the reason it took me six months to get my first uh, affiliate commission was I was going through forums, I was reading stuff, I was posting questions, getting answers. I didn't actually have somewhere where I could go and, and, and really kind of get trustworthy responses from so I could get there faster. So the second part of what we tried to build is the ability to go to experts and ask Q&A style questions. Then the third part is, you know, previously two, three, four years ago, we were selling courses for $1,000, $2,000, $3,000. There's only a certain level of people that can afford that. And we wanted to reach more and more people you know, if you imagine there are right now 10 million advertisers on Facebook, of which 9.9 .9 million, roughly, are not on Facebook groups. And the reason I know that is because some of the biggest Facebook ads groups have 100,000, 200,000 people on them. So where are the majority? What are they doing? They're in other places. Maybe they don't think about forums. I want to reach the majority. So part of this is giving access to those high-level courses, again, for a low fee. And that's what we try to build, build through this program is reach as many people as we can, have a massive, massive impact, but bring the cost of entry down. So all of my success I had through Facebook ads, I had to learn it myself. It took me years and years. Like when I started with Facebook ads in 2011, 2012, I lost thousands because I didn't know what I was doing. And it was just kind of test and learn, test and learn. I didn't know where to go. Back then there wasn't, you know, gurus and experts and people that you could follow. There just wasn't enough info. I wanted to, and, and I'm kind of almost looking back at the old me. What do I want? And then that's what we built ad signals around is giving people a place they can go to learn, to network, to go to the experts that is accessible. And I think that's the big thing for us as well. And I think one of the underlying themes for our business from day dot is how many people can we try and help? And that's it's always been about how can we, and I think your, your catchphrase is helping people to punch above their weight. And I, it really is like it's help as many people as you can. And we hope that this um, new program and everything is is priced at such a level that you're not you're not um, not included because price is a barrier. So so for us that was one of the reasons that we've introduced this so that it empowers people to help themselves. Mm. Inshallah, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And where can people connect with uh, both of you and just you know learn more about it is that you do possibly you know take part in some of your programs or just in general continue to stay in touch. Um, so for me, it's uh, DeepeshMandalia.com, or you can connect with me on Facebook or LinkedIn. And I'm the same. Um, mine's just Shalina at smcommerce.co.uk, or again, I'm on Facebook. 
Amazing. Thank you so much, guys. We'll go ahead and drop the links in the description of this episode, as well as in the episode notes for listening on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Go ahead and check it out. Brother Deepesh, Sister Sheila, thank you so much for joining us today. This was pleasure. an absolute pleasure. I learned a lot myself, and I'm sure that our listeners benefited greatly as well. Jazakallah khairan for joining me today. Salam. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Assalamu alaikum.